0: Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people, your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, interview leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. This is Marin Costello Radio. Ladies and gents, we have the on the show. She is the founder and CEO of Theory Planning Partners, a boutique wealth creation firm built for the top female entrepreneurs in America. After cutting her teeth in asset management, Caitlin spent the majority of her career at UBS Financial Services, where she developed more than 300 financial plans for clients with assets ranging from $500,000 to $1 billion. Despite her success at UBS, Caitlin saw a gap in the market and she felt compelled to address business owners, particularly women, needing a whole holistic support earlier in their entrepreneurial journeys to optimize wealth creation. Theory Planning Partners is pioneering this space with a focus on getting more wealth into the hands of women. Outside of work, Caitlin is a spiritual seeker, ravenous to understand why we are here and how to forge a meaningful life. Same girl, same. She, <laughs> resides, <laughs> she resides in a beautiful, in beautiful Marblehead, Massachusetts with her husband, Jake, their son, Russell, and affectionate dog, Bacchus. In her free time, she enjoys exercising, reading, traveling, and sampling new restaurants in and around the Boston area. Caitlin, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Marin. I'm excited about this. Oh, I'm so excited. So you and I bonded not too long ago, and now I just feel like this is a, a chat with one of my besties, like yeah. just a little catch up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: totally. No, it was like, Our initial chat flew by because there was just so much commonality, and you know, I could have kept talking to you for hours if I didn't have to go pick Russell up from daycare.
0: (laughs) And funny enough, I forgot to mention that my dad's side of the family is um, originally from just outside of Boston and Bradford and Haverhill. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's right up the street from us. Yeah, so I spent you know a lot of my childhood visiting. I, I was born and raised on the West Coast, but I went back to the Boston area very frequently and visited my family there. And I still have a lot of um, a lot of family members, a lot of Costellos in the Boston area. So, oh my gosh, I'm going to be on the lookout for Costellos from now on. <laughs> I love it. So one of the questions that we asked on all of our shows to kind of show the holistic perspective of where our guests come from is what was little Caitlin like?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Little Caitlin, I would say came out of the womb with a fundamental belief that women could do everything that men could do. And um, I think there's like one story that represents this in particular, which was, I think I was about four years old and my dad traveled a lot for work at the time. And he brought home, uh, because he traveled a lot, he would sometimes like bring us gifts when he came back from work. And he brought my brother brother, a Tonka truck and I said, where's mine? So- I love that. (laughs) And he was like- so caught I, have off a, guard.
0: <laughs> I have a similar story with my cousin, Sam, who is my best friend growing up, I think we're only months apart. And we were in the same grade from preschool all the way through senior year in high school and his my version of Tonka trucks is hot, hot wheels.
1: Yes. Hot wheels. We oh had God. a whole
0: display of hot wheels. Anyways, continue. <laughs> you just no. brought me back again.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I just ended up carrying that throughout my whole childhood and, and young adulthood, because as you know, I shared yesterday, uh, I ended up playing ice hockey. And when I was growing up, I mean, this was back in the nineties, like girls just didn't play ice hockey, but I was a figure skater at the time. And I was really bored with figure skating. I just didn't find it exciting and i um had to stay after my practice to watch my brother's hockey practice and he scored a goal and his teammates all piled on him and celebrated with him and i just thought that looks way more fun so i got in the car and asked my parents if i could play ice hockey and my dad was elated he was like yes of course you can play um but really like no other girls were playing at the time so i ended up playing with i was usually the only girl on my team until i was about like 14 and then thankfully uh girls hockey did start expanding so I ended up moving into onto a girls team at 14 but yeah how long did you
0: play hockey for
1: I played all the way through college um so basically until I was 22 years old it was a huge part of my life and um as I was telling you yesterday my freshman
0: year we won a national championship which was really cool um, what did playing hockey do for your entrepreneurial brain? Like what skills did you learn in that sport that you feel you still pull into your day to day? Oh, that's such a good question.
1: Um, the delayed gratification mm. and, you know, you don't start out a season winning a national championship. You don't start out when you're seven years old winning a national championship, but you right. just focus on the inputs. You go to practice every day you practice when other people aren't practicing. Like if you want to be the best and and you want to get better, um, you have to focus on the inputs and know that the outputs aren't going to be there immediately. But if you keep focusing on the inputs, like you, you will eventually reap the rewards. So focusing on things like, um, like my snapshot, like my snapshot was always a hard thing for me. Um, my wrist shot was always easy. So going out there and, in practicing my snapshot, like it wasn't fun, but it paid off long-term and I mastered it over time. And I think taking that long-term temporal perspective of approaching business ownership and entrepreneurship with kind of that marathon mentality is super important because as a business owner, you're just the nature of the beast is you're gonna have high highs and low lows. And you have to be able to um, kind of, Find equilibrium in the middle, and just get through it, and keep going, and keep going. And I have just found so many parallels. So I, I like that you asked that question because I think that that's kind of what it comes down to. Is anything worth
0: achieving is going to require work ethic and and hard work, discipline. I find- I find that a topic that we cover quite a bit on the show is patience. And this is Mm. obviously a derivative of patience and your marathon mentality comparison is the complete antithesis of immediate gratification, which has become our norm, you know, in 2022. So I think that, especially with so many, you know, supposed overnight successes where the normal overnight success takes 10 to 20 years.
2: Mm -hmm. um,
0: I really appreciate, I really appreciate you speaking to that right out the gate, because it's so important for folks who want to get into uh, into the entrepreneurial space to know that, yes, there are, you know, very, very lucky and probably strategic um, wins for business owners where you wake up one day and then, you know, you're a millionaire, but for the majority of folks who are in the entrepreneurial space, it takes a very, very long time and a lot of dedication. So how do you continue to keep yourself in the game and, stay focused when maybe there is a lull because the ebbs and flows are inevitable, especially in the long game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would say um, and this kind of ties into the pandemic era as well. I read an article um, that was asking people like how they got through the Great Depression and the answer was routine and I thought that was so interesting. I was like, wow. oh because I really thrive off of routine mm-hmm. like I thrive off of, you know, getting, I usually go to orange theory every morning or do a yoga class. I try to at least go to the gym three to four times a week because for me, it sets myself up for success for the day. Right. And, and so that, that like starts my routine every day. And so I know that there's consistency there. And again, I think it just comes back to consistency and focusing on the inputs, not focusing on the outputs because the inputs will eventually lead to the outputs. And It's also probably reaffirming for me because I do work in wealth creation and I've seen after working with hundreds of clients that building wealth is the same way, same thing, same theme. Like it's, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens from putting in the really like being disciplined over a long period of time is how I've seen most people build wealth, whether it's building a hugely valuable company or it's just saving diligently.
0: What would you recommend if you were to do one or the other?
1: Building to sell or saving diligently. Um, Both can accomplish the same goal. So a lot of people think, oh, like if someone sold their business for $25 million, a lot of people think, oh my God, that must be so amazing. But if you start saving early in your career and you're really diligent about it, you could arrive at the same level of wealth as someone who sold a business for 25 million. Um, so it's, that's kind of where the financial planning aspect comes in because there are so many ways to go about building wealth. And as long as it's supporting your goals, either way works or a combination of the two, especially for business owners can be ideal.
0: Another theme that we talk about a lot is agency and choice. And so I Mm -hmm. love that you just offered, you know, if we were your proverbial clients, you were to offer us, you know, to say, hey, there's not just one way to do it. And there's certainly not one way to just do entrepreneurship, right? There's similarly, as you're, as I'm learning, not just one way to build wealth. So I love that, um, that ability of choice that you give your clients to know that, you know, just because you didn't do it this way, doesn't mean that you're screwed. You have options.
1: Yeah. And I would say like, The simpler way is to just start saving and the younger you start saving and set up those habits, those positive habits, the less money it will take to get to where you want to go. If that makes sense. And that's, that's because of something called compound interest, which is the power of the markets. There's an Einstein quote that um, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world and those who understand it, earn it. And those who don't pay it. Wow. Mm -hmm. So what he means by that is those who understand the power of compound interest invest and they reap the rewards of compound interest. Those who don't understand it typically have things like credit card debt, where they're paying the credit card company, you know, 18, 23%, uh, like as an interest rate, which is just absolutely crazy. But the credit card company is reaping the rewards of, of that compound interest. Um, So that's a really important relationship to understand as well.
0: Absolutely. What was your first experience with finance and also your first experience with entrepreneurship?
1: My first experience with finance was when I was eight years old. My grandfather bought me one share of Disney stock. And I remember being really disappointed because I wanted something tangible for my birthday. I wanted a gift. And that obvious a stock, I mean, I think back then there were stock certificates, but it was just like a piece of paper and I was so disappointed. And he took the time to explain to me what a stock was and again, like the power of compound interest. So investing was introduced to me at a really young age Um, and had a I had another thought there. I think the other thing, oh, well, I mean, the interesting thing is that I did see that grow. So basically, Disney pays dividends. So I just reinvested the dividends over a long period of time. So one stock, which was worth thirty eight dollars, ended up turning into, I think it's worth like sixty five hundred dollars now. Oh, I know what I was gonna say. So um, I remember him explaining to me that this stock would pay me money that I would make money off of having bought this. And I remember saying to him, how can I make money if I'm not working for it? And then that's when he explained to me the power of compound interest. And so to be a little kid and learn, okay, there's a way that I can make money without having to physically work for it was this concept that I don't even know if he realized that it landed with me, but it did like it stuck with me. And we didn't revisit, like, I didn't really revisit investing until after I got out of college, but it was enough of a nugget or a seed that he planted with me that it stayed with me. Um, so that was my first introduction to investing. And then my first introduction to entrepreneurship was actually a pretty negative one, which was uh, my uncle bought a a bar, bought a restaurant and bar, um, and he ran it for... I think seven or eight years, but he actually really poorly managed it, didn't make great decisions with it and essentially ended up losing it. Um, So he was forced to sell it. And so I actually had a pretty negative orientation towards entrepreneurship for a long time because when he was forced to sell it, I was about 12 years old, which I also think is like a pretty impressionable time. And so when I was growing up, I always saw myself in corporate because I felt like corporate offered stability and entrepreneurship was really like scary and unstable. Um, So I remember when I graduated college thinking like, I remember having this conscious thought, which is so interesting, which is like, that'll i probably be a really good corporate soldier. Like I saw myself like climbing the corporate ladder and just like doing all the right things because I had just always been a kid that did all the right things. Um, And then, you know, it actually turned out that corporate wasn't what I wanted at all. And entrepreneurship represents everything that I want. But I think the difference between my uncle and me comes down to self-discipline. So um, I definitely had to overcome some subconscious and conscious limitations around entrepreneurship. But I'm so glad that I have a really supportive husband who
0: encouraged me to take the leap and go for it. What was that moment of taking the leap? When did you know that it was time for you to jump? Did someone push you off a cliff? Mm. (laughs) Were you like, hey, I've had enough Mm -hmm. in my corporate world? Or was it like, oh, I finally got this client. Now it's time. What was your green light?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It wasn't, it was more like a slow burn. (laughs) And jump, I jumped from burning platform to burning platform, and I jumped from enough burning platforms that it was almost like I couldn't take it anymore. I was almost like forced into entrepreneurship in sort wow. of like a stepstone way. So I started my wealth management career at UBS Financial Services, which is what's referred to as a wirehouse. And so that's probably like the most buttoned up version of wealth management. And I ended up joining a private wealth team that. They left UBS and they started their own company. And I was only there for a really short period of time. It was just a toxic culture. It was really far away from my house. It just clearly wasn't a good fit. And so I had to get out of that environment pretty much as soon as possible. Um, And interestingly, a former colleague from UBS reached out and um, said, Hey, I noticed that you went the RAA route, which is like the independent route. And so I. Um, ended up having a conversation with him and it turned out he was interested in essentially like co-founding a firm together and so we did that for about a year and that was excellent for me because I saw what we should spend money on and what we shouldn't spend money on and what it was going to take to run a firm on my own and then interestingly we got to around the one year mark and I fell in love with business ownership and I couldn't see myself doing anything different. And he was the opposite. He had the opposite experience. He wanted to go back to the corporate world, which was like shocking to me. Yeah. <laughs> and I, by that point, realized that my passion for wealth management was gonna come from working with clients that I loved and enjoyed. So like, it really had to come down to a personal mission for me, not just working with people who had money. So it was kind of like a natural parting of ways where he went back to corporate and then I started my company Theory. So it was like a couple, I left corporate with a team and went into the independent space. And then I left that team and co-founded a firm, saw how to run it for a year. And then I started Theory, which is entirely my own company. Um, And for me, I think it was really good because I'm kind of like a, I need to research, I need to understand. And like, I had enough security at that point and I had enough clients where I was like, okay, at least I'll be able to pay my bills for the first year. You know, and and I needed that level of comfort to be able to make that jump.
0: How long into starting, or how long into running your business or being in your business, did you become profitable?
1: Um, I was profitable the first year, but not by much. And I also really wasn't paying myself. So I would say I definitely had the luxury of us living off of my husband's salary. Certainly we had to get leaner and more intentional because we were losing a corporate salary. Um, But I'm so grateful that he was supportive of making that sacrifice. Um, And then my second year, we were actually unprofitable because I poured so much into building out my network, it really investing in like relationships. And um, there was a lot of pressure there because I felt like I really needed to make the most of that, which I did. And so my third year were profitable and I'm paying myself. So <laughs> it's, you know, so far so good, but obviously comes down to day-to-day decision-making and, and really like making the most of the journey. So.
0: I love it. I just started paying myself as well. I want to say like maybe a year ago, and I've been doing this for a very, very, very long time, just like keep investing and keep investing. And my financial advisor was like, it's time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Like I was just so used to the hustle and like living scrappy. Um, yes. Yeah. So it was, a, it's a big move. I totally get it. I totally get it.
1: And entrepreneurs are like notorious for just at all costs, putting the business ahead of themselves. Totally. So it's like you you leave for the luxury and you, the luxury of like freedom and upside potential. And then you just end up becoming this like highly
0: underpaid employee. (laughs) Totally. Totally. But I think that there's a time and a place. And I also appreciate you know, every dollar that the business brings in so much more because of how many years I wasn't paying myself.
1: Mm, yes. Right. And have
0: and becoming savvy in other ways. So yeah, all, all for a reason. I think mm-hmm. there's, I think it's good to understand, you know, both sides of the train tracks. Yes. You mentioned investing in relationships. Can you expound on that? What relationships specifically did you invest in?
1: So I was extremely intentional about The client that I wanted to serve, which was a seven and eight figure female entrepreneur. And by that, I mean, a female entrepreneur whose business is generating seven figures or eight figures, because by that point, they really need what I've defined as a financial success team. Like it's not just about um, getting up and running. They're not scraping by anymore. Now they really need to be surrounded by A bookkeeper, a CFO who's helping make strategic decisions, you know, a tax strategist who's helping strategically reduce taxes and a financial planner who kind of like you were saying is tapping you on the shoulder to say, Hey, remember, like you started this business for your own personal goals. Like let's now start giving back to those goals because otherwise you'll just always put the business above yourself. And that was something I, that was another reason why I had to go into entrepreneurship, because I couldn't authentically align myself with guiding business owners without being a business owner myself. I felt like I really needed to understand that relationship. And now I totally do. Now it's like, if you don't, if you don't take the time to like step back and revisit that strategic vision, then your business is a great distraction to just like constantly put out fires day to day. So I feel like when women start to get to that point of business maturity, then it's really important to be surrounded by good advisors. So I first was intentional about who I was serving, and then I started to look for places that those women might hang out. And you know, I'm not like a cold call person and I'm a very relationship oriented person. And, um, for those of you who have done human design, I'm also a projector. So it is just like, it makes my skin crawl to think about like going into a cocktail party and asking for business. It's just not something that I can do. (laughs) but as a projector, like warm introductions or referrals or relationship building, that's very natural for me. That feels very authentic. And especially for people that I just love supporting, like I'll think of those people throughout the month and like drop them a text or see if I can make introductions that are helpful. So it was first about getting intentional about who I'm serving. Then it was getting intentional about where those people hang out and what they do and what they're looking for and who they trust, and so I tried to be as strategic as possible about about investing in places that I could have those conversations with those women on an authentic level. And like we talked about yesterday, becoming a mother also made me super discerning about how to spend my time and where to spend my time. So you know, through my twenties, I was kind of just like dilly-dallying. Like, I don't know. I was just lost because I was a student athlete who had a regiment until I was 22. And then it was like, do whatever you want from 22 to 30. Um, I obviously had enough self-discipline to like get all my licenses and get all my accreditations. But outside of that, it was kind of just like, I had this endless amount of time that I had never had before. So I became a mom in 2021 and I got intentional about my network in 2021. And it was like, okay, I'm here to do this. And I'm here for a purpose. And like, there needs to be an outcome here because I'm not spending time with my baby. So
0: you and I spoke, um, yesterday about how your schedule and your regimen changed when you became a mother. And I would love for you to talk about what your, what your structure of your schedule looks like now, because it is quite inspirational and very clear. And I'm sure things change, you know, as they need to. And I'm sure that no one day looks the same to you, but there is this like underlying theme of structure. So what does that look like for you?
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for asking. So I would say that, um, again, the grounding factor for me is getting that morning workout in because that's my time to myself. Um, and then putting Russell into daycare was great because it forced me to, have a schedule again. So Russell goes to daycare Monday through Thursday. So I know Monday through Thursday I have to get all my work done. And I've tried to be really intentional about leaving Mondays and Wednesdays open because like we talked about yesterday, with financial planning, it takes a different part of my brain and I really have to get into like deep concentration when I'm in the weeds of running numbers and projections and everything. And so then I try to leave Tuesdays and Thursdays for my call days or, you know, follow up any, anything that's like people facing. And then Fridays I have off and, um, I try to do things with Russell, like take him to the zoo or take him to the beach. And, um, also for those of you who have taken the Enneagram, I'm a three. So like threes are, so they're the achiever. So they're like, so to-do list oriented. So, it's great for me to be forced to have Fridays with him where I like think of creative things for us to do together. Cause otherwise I could just work and work and work. So um, that has definitely had a big impact on my schedule. And the other thing is he goes 830 to 330 every day. So not only like is he he's going four days a week, but I also know, okay, I only have 830 to 330 to get this stuff done. And then, you know, sometimes it spills over into like working at night, which I actually like, I don't know, there's something about the darkness, like I can focus better when it's dark sometimes. I don't know if that comes back to like college or what, but um, it's having a schedule is like so such a nice natural resting place for me. So I'm happy to have that again.
0: I love that. Congrats on your structure. you inspire me. I feel like I recreate my structure every week because I'm constantly learning myself and changing and evolving. So just know that you're, you are an inspiration. (laughs) That consistency is very inspiring. Mm -hmm. Um, By the way, you mentioned Enneagram and I asked my girlfriend, Kara, who's been on this podcast multiple times. She said she can't decide if I'm a three wing four or an eight wing seven. So
2: halfway between the two. So, that
1: they're, they share a lot of overlap and similarities and they communicate together very well. Too. Totally. totally.
0: <laughs> so I want to talk about the branding side of your business, because you've also created a beautiful brand, a very tangible, digestible, beautiful brand. And you also have created a team to help support that brand and help, mm-hmm. you know, promote your services Um, which is, you know, a great example of how you and I originally got connected. So can you speak to like the beautification of your business as well?
1: Sure. I take that as the highest compliment because I think of that as my greatest weakness.
0: (laughs) Not at all. It's beautiful.
1: Thank you. It's so simple. My website is one page and I just speak from the heart. And um, because I really feel like the, the value is in, A conversation with me to decide if it's the right fit or not um and so but because i feel like it's my greatest weakness i would say that's one of the first things that i outsourced so as far as like the front front facing side of my business i'd rather delegate that and leave that to expert creatives who are fantastic at what they do because that's not what i'm great at whereas the back end I can be the one running the financial plans or making the investment trades for as long as I need to for cash flow reasons. But after investing in the outward facing side of things, the next biggest investment I made was in my investment team. And so um, I think, it, because I'm doing so much, right? Like as a business owner, you're, doing business development, you are like coming on podcasts, you are taking sales calls, and then actually doing the financial planning. In the investment piece, I just felt like this is a a portion of what people are paying us to do extremely well. I want to be doing it as well as Goldman Sachs or UBS, because that's where I came from. And I know those capabilities. So it was very important for me to hire not only an investment team, but two CFAs, like people that I highly respect that I know are going to give me the best information and the best guidance for my clients. So, um, and the other thing is it it allows me to, if I didn't have them, then I'd be worried that like, I wasn't keeping on top of the markets or I wasn't keeping on top of inflation. So that's like the nice luxury of once you start cash flowing as a business owner, you're like, okay, this piece that worries me constantly, now I can outsource this, or this piece that I'm not great at, now I can outsource this. Um, Such as like, I would just never have the time to reach out and schedule podcasts, but it's like, it's something that I think is really important, a really important way to educate people. So I'll hire someone to do that. And of course the one page they made for me was so beautiful and like something I could never do. So I don't know if that fully answered your question, but that's a little behind the scenes. (laughs) A
0: 100%, I was actually gonna ask you the order of operations, the PEMDAS of Of outsourcing. (laughs) And for you, it just sound, I forget your exact wording that you use, but basically the things that give you pause, the things that give you anxiety, those are the things, the things that don't bring you joy, those are the first things that you should outsource to someone. Yes.
1: yes. And like we talked about yesterday, entrepreneurship is like personal development with a paycheck, Yeah. <laughs> so you are just made acutely aware of your strengths and weaknesses, and you have to be really honest with yourself about your strengths and weaknesses. So once you figure that out, you're like, okay, I need to hire for my weaknesses, you know, and like, that's going to accelerate my ability to focus on my strengths. And that's what's gonna lead to a financially healthy company.
0: Did you have a good sense of self-awareness before being an entrepreneur or did entrepreneurship kickstart, like really amplify your self-awareness? That's a good question.
1: I would say I've always been interested in personal development and I've always read spiritual books or personal development books. But when I was doing that as an employee, it was more like recreational. Mm-hmm. Now it's more of a business decision.
0: Right, like
1: right. I need to be aware of my strengths and weaknesses because it's having a direct financial impact on me. It's sink like or swim. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Versus like, oh, I'll take, you know, the alchemist to the beach and enjoy this. Now it's like, what am I good at? What am I not good at? Cause it comes down, comes down to the bottom line. <laughs>
0: When you speak about personal development, what things do you engage in? Books, courses, coaches, what does that look like for your business?
1: It's been a little bit of everything. And I think it mirrors where I am in life and what I need at the time. So last year I mentioned like, so we actually ran at a loss last year, but I invested a lot in coaching. So um, I didn't do as much reading last year and I did more coaching. Now I feel like my cup is pretty full from coaching. I kind of get the gist of everything this year feels more like a self-reliance year and a consistency year where it's like, you know what? I know what I'm doing. I know who I'm serving. I know what I'm good at. Um, So actually this year is more like meditation based and okay, doing is good to a certain extent but actually like doing can also then eventually become harmful. So I've been trying to be better about stepping away at like nine o'clock at night and meditating, especially because now I'm six months pregnant. So like, I need to start to get in the zone of like, I I love doing hypnobirthing with Russell. And now I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to have this baby in three months. And like, I need to get centered for that experience. So this year feels more, more like I have to focus on, not have to focus, but it feels more natural for me to do what I'm doing, but set aside time to focus on being.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I would say I did a lot more reading before I had kids. Now it's a little bit harder to do reading.
0: I think that the Western culture puts such a heavy emphasis on doing that we don't even know what being means. Yeah. And I feel like my journey in my adult life, definitely during my you know season of self-discovery and self-awareness and spirituality- has been understanding what being means and really leaning into it and not allowing former anxieties to take over, because stillness, there's so much magic in stillness, but that's not how we're bred as humans in the West. Yes. At all. We don't value
1: We don't value free time or boredom or being when they're exactly like you're saying, like, there's so much value in that. So like great ideas have come out of boredom or have come out of stopping versus like crossing another thing off the to-do list. But I have to agree with you. It's like so deeply ingrained in who I am as a person, especially as a former student athlete, where it was like, you know, play a sport every season and not just play a sport, but like play on three teams. Like I'm just doing and going is just like my comfort zone and especially as a three as well. I would say my brother, who's a nine, which is the peacekeeper, he's a little more inclined to be <laughs> than I am. <laughs> so some people are better at it than others, but like, it really is. I, th- I I think the key is to approach it with the same mentality of how valuable it is in order for me to get myself to do it if that makes sense like this is valuable this will pay off so
0: well one thing that I also learned after I trained myself to redirect my anxiety and redirect thinking that being still was doing nothing is that stillness and silence is so loud and if you actually allow yourself to like drop into your body and be still um that's really where the magic happens. That's where all the best ideas that I have come from. That's where all of my clarity comes from. That's where the vision that governs my life comes from.
1: Yeah. It's so
0: it's such an antithesis of, of what we're taught.
1: And I've also seen, because I did work with, when I was at UBS, some of the wealthiest people in the country, if not the world. I, I remember having this thought that like you can live in the nicest house in the country and in, in the state but if you're living in a shack inside your head then it doesn't matter and I've seen a lot of people that don't get the internal side right so how can the external be rewarding if the internal is a mess you know and vice versa if you have a super rich internal life then it doesn't, your extra, like the way you move through the world is just so beautiful, regardless of where you are, because your internal state is just so rich and so beautiful.
0: Well, also when we take care of ourselves, everything falls into place.
1: Mm, mm -hmm. What
0: I've also found in, in my healing journey is that when I've noticed the more that I dedicate to healing myself and the more that I focus on myself, not in a selfish way, but in a selfless way, right? Because when we, I find that the more that I take care of myself, the more everybody else around me gets taken care of. The more that I heal, the more that everyone around me gets healed. And I just feel like if we all just focused on ourselves and, you know, doing our best and not deflecting and not focusing on external factors, I feel like all the world's problems would be solved we yeah. just focused on our own healing. Yes. And, and
1: self-awareness because I feel like a lot of pain and, um, you know, inflicting pain on others comes from a lack of self-awareness hundred percent. Yeah. And you have to, if you want to get better, you have to be willing to set aside the time to To like explore that and be, and I guess the other thought that just popped into my head is like, I can handle when I'm in a really good meditation routine, I can handle stressors so much better. Mm -hmm. Like I remember I was really into hypnobirthing and then I had, we had a tiny shower because it was like still the middle of COVID. And then we found out that my sister had COVID and she was at the shower. Then I remember everyone was freaking out. And I was actually like one of the only people not freaking out. And it was because I w- was listening to my hypnobirthing tapes every night. So, and then we look back and everything was okay, thankfully. But I'm like, wow, I did, I saved myself so much energy, not freaking out. But I, um, you know, how in meditation, they talk about the space between um, the space between like the action and reaction or the space okay. between the stimulus and the reaction mm-hmm. like that that space between does expand when you're in a good meditation routine. And so it, it does impact you as a business owner, I think for sure, as a person, but as a business owner, for sure.
0: For me, it's helped change reacting into responding. Mm, Very thoughtful. I love that. Yeah. I found that, you know, for survival when I was much younger in running my business and also just in life, I was much more reactionary. Um, And it was a survivalist mechanism, right? Because I feel like as a younger female entrepreneur, you have more things stacked against you.
1: Mm. But
0: as I've become more seasoned and become more mature and also discovered like the wealth of healing myself and, you know, pouring into my own self-awareness journey, that that is the secret sauce. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and it also requires a fundamental trust in the universe, I would say, in my vernacular. 100%. Trusting that me doing this will help me further on my path definitely requires a leap of faith.
0: I think that, yeah, I mean, trust, faith, knowing, all of those things totally help bring me peace on a daily basis. Mm. like when when shit is hitting the fan I'm like okay what is this teaching me okay like you know and I think that the difference between my former self and my current self is that my former self would maybe have a similar reaction but would just sweep things under the rug mm. I now can process things and feel every emotion and you know the spectrum of human emotion but also know that everything happens for a reason and not you know, pack up those emotions and have them rear their ugly heads later.
1: Mm, Yeah. Well, it goes back to what we were talking about before, which is like that marathon mentality, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're running a marathon, it's going to be a lot more enjoyable if you're able to find that space of calm and trust and knowing versus being on a roller coaster throughout your marathon.
0: (laughs) Totally. Was there, did you, have you ever had a moment like a everything happens for a reason moment where like you have that aha moment and you're like, oh, this is why this happened in the past.
1: Yes, I would say that um, when that that team I was talking about, that team left UBS Mm -hmm. and then it ended up being a really toxic environment. At first I was really, I had a lot of animosity towards that team because I thought like, you just messed up my life and my career. But now I look back and I'm like, I don't know that I ever would have made the jump into being an independent wealth management firm without having been on that team. So even though it was toxic and it felt horrible in the moment, they were the impetus for me leaving corporate. Wow. And now I look back and it, and it didn't end very gracefully but now I look back and I'm like, wow, I'm so thankful to them for being everything that they were and just representing this inflection point where I had to decide and take a leap and and break away and had everything like been great. I could still be there. Like I could still be working with their clients. I could still be like in that environment. And now I look at my life and look at my clients and who I'm helping. And the fact that my clients are like my friends, you know, which never would have been the case had everything gone really well with that team. So it looked ugly in the moment. And now I look back and I'm like, wow, I'm a mom who can go pick my son up from daycare and not have to answer to anybody. And my clients are my friends who I care deeply about. And that never would have happened if I wasn't on that that team that I had a bad experience with.
0: What is the North Star for theory planning?
1: The North Star. Um, For me, it's, of course, I want theory to be a highly successful firm. But the reason that I started it really is to get wealth into the hands of women. So Mm -hmm. if all my clients achieve their personal financial goals and create wealth because I brought my private wealth experience to them when they were in their thirties. And then eventually they're in their sixties and they have like the ultimate abundance and wealth that I would feel like my mission was complete.
0: (laughs) I love that. What would your advice be to someone who wants to do what you do?
1: Someone who wants to do what I do. Um, I do feel like starting in corporate was good training. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm kind of one of those people where like, I don't feel like I could have jumped into this right out of college. I needed the corporate training. I needed them to pay for me to get my certified financial planning designation. Like I'm a big believer in education. So I think the formality of a training program and getting your Accreditations is super important to delivering really sophisticated planning advice. And also the ability to work in corporate and get exposed to teams and how I wanted to do it and how I didn't want to do it, um, I think was super important. So I started theory when I was 28. So from 22 to 28, I was very intentional about this period of time as like an apprenticeship where. I'm I'm in a corporate training program. I'm going to study and get my licenses. And it wasn't like a particularly sexy time because it's just like you're studying and you're just making a salary and it's like not that cool, but you're building up that muscle of experience Where now. Clients really trust me and I'm able to guide them confidently because I have that training. So I would say for our field of work, having formal training, I think is Will give you a solid foundation it doesn't necessarily need to be at like a ubs it can be at an ria which is registered investment advisor but certainly um, putting in the hours to get your licenses and get experience i think really pays off for the rest of your career
0: similarly what would your advice be for your former self your younger self um in business but also in life
1: I think it would be like everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. You know, I had, we talked about this yesterday, but I had some really bad sexual harassment experiences at UBS that were very traumatic to go through. But now when I look back at my twenties, I'm like, wow, so much of that was intentional. Like, I really think going through the sexual harassment experiences sharpened my passion for working with women. Like it wasn't just enough for me to work alongside women like i really want to financially empower women and and um yeah it's just such a comforting i like feel like my blood pressure goes down every t- every time i say that to myself everything happens for a reason and um i don't think i'll, I'll probably be saying that when i'm 90 if i'm 90
0: <laughs> well i think that phrase i mean it's so cliche and i my mom I grew up with my mom saying that to me all the time, but now I'm like, wow, that is such a value, valuable phrase. There's so much value in hearing it and also listening to it and really believing that everything happens for a reason. I think that that's what makes the challenging times that much sweeter because I'm like, cool, what am I going to learn from this? I mean, I personally remember being super, super sick five years ago, like bedridden and my best friend at the time coming into my room and laughing at me. And I was like, why are you laughing? And she was like, it's only going to go up from here. And at the time I was like, I can't stand you. Like This is so (laughs) painful, but it was her being able to find the joy in the difficult times that I've pulled from. I've pulled from that moment. So many times in my life where, you know, there has been challenges or sadness or what have you. Um, And everything truly does happen for a reason.
1: Yeah, it's so. I love that you have a good friend. Yes, she's the best. <laughs> it takes a special person to be able to
0: walk in and say that to somebody. Hundred percent, hundred percent. What is next for theory planning? What is next for theory planning?
1: Um, well, another thing about motherhood is that if, <laughs> this baby's coming in the fall, whether we like it or not. So. <laughs> logistically, I think it's about getting all of my existing clients settled and taken care of heading into the end of the year. Um, I think that I spent the first 18 months to two years of my business trying to perfect the direction that I was taking it. And I realized this past spring that it's more like I'm being led. And so I am going to go where I'm being led versus I'm going to have X amount of clients. And this is exactly how it's going to go. You know, I've had so many situations that have presented themselves that I didn't expect that have taught me so much. And so I had a, uh, I call her like a business bestie, but she said, um, she said, you don't create demand, you channel demand. And I thought that was so interesting. And I was like, you're right. If I try to perfect this, then I may be missing out on serving some amazing women that could really benefit from my expertise. So I'm embracing more of that mindset for 2023, that I'm going to channel the demand and and be led. I'll let the clients tell me where they want to take theory. And I'm going to bring everything that I thought was wrong with the wealth management industry, going to try to fix that and bring white glove service to my existing clients. But I also want them to be a part of co-creating this. And that's also why I was very intentional about calling theory a wealth creation firm versus a wealth management firm because wealth creation is a co-creative process. And I will give you my advice and thoughts, but ultimately the reason why we charge a flat fee for our services is because we want to support you and building wealth in a way that feels aligned with you and your values and representative of you, not just forcing you into the public markets because that's how we got paid in the old model. So
0: Say there is, or there are many women listening to this podcast who are entrepreneurial, who are making seven to eight figures, how would they get in touch with you to work with you?
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for asking. So, um, that very simple website that I referenced before theoryplanning.com at the bottom, there is a link where you can book a call with me and all the calls are with me. Um, and we talk about, you know, how, if we're the right fit, if we're not the right fit, maybe who we can direct you to in the meantime. Um, and then also I have an Instagram, which is not super impressive, but <laughs> my Instagram is at Theory Planning Partners. And you can always feel free to DM me or look me up on LinkedIn, I'm Caitlin Carlson on LinkedIn.
0: And finally, what would your advice be to women who are, on their journey to becoming a potential client of yours? Mm. Um,
1: reach out sooner rather than later. I think that's the biggest mistake that I see is, so when we take on clients, a lot of them start with zero dollars in assets because mm. we see it as our job to help them build wealth. So don't wait or think you need to have like a hundred thousand or a million dollars in cash or anything like come to us sooner rather than later, because we'll, like I said before, like we'll direct you, direct you to the help that we feel you need in the meantime. So it's better to start the conversation earlier rather than later. Um, because again, going back to
0: compound interest, you know, time is your greatest asset when it comes to investing. So be proactive. Caitlin, you are a dream. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Your dream, Marin. This is so fun. I can't wait to like stay in touch. It's awesome.
0: Took the words right out of my mouth. I appreciate (laughs) you so much. Thank you so much. Sure. Well, folks, that interview is just beyond a big- Thank you to Caitlin for coming on the show and another thank you to our hosts at Dash Radio and producers at Island City Media. If you liked this episode, you can listen to it again and again on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please leave a review so we can continue bringing you the people and conversations that you love, just like Caitlin. Lastly, if you want to connect with me offline, you can find me at marincostello.com and radio on Instagram. Have the most beautiful day, everyone. Thank you so, so much for tuning in and we will see you next week.
2: we both still young, so what's the rush? Tonight is young and we not drunk enough You'll come around if I don't do too much We had our downs, but we had way more ups Let's make love That be the reason that you always hit me up I swear You like the way I cause I get rough You told me you new man, don't make you That's a shame You come here, I knock your Out the frame Remember that last time I made you miss your mission plane? Remember that last time I wetted that with champagne? Remember that? And I know I've been the worst, but I love you better. If you let me, let's catch a flight, change the weather. And I promise forever. Oh my god. could pay the bills with my love for you we'd be the richest in the room yeah. we be so comfortable girl it's only you for me no lie I'll lie. try what they offer they're not who I want them to be that's not an offer to me if you're